Awesome. I have Hallie Ritsu here with me today on what is now the 12th episode, believe it or not, of the Newfangled Lawyer podcast. And I'm super pumped to have Hallie here uh, with me today to, to chat. Um, before we started this, I told her one of the things that's on our website that I absolutely love is she mentions the word peace. And it's kind of, it's really well laid out like this pathway to peace, which shouldn't be counterculture, but it is. And so I cannot wait to talk about kind of her approach to the practice of law and her story and how she got here. So I'll turn it over to you to give a brief introduction uh, of yourself. Great. I'm Hallie Ritsu and Patrick, thank you for having me today. Um, congratulations on such a successful podcast. Thank it's you. It's been really fun to watch your journey and listen to the episodes that you've been releasing this year. I've loved it. It's great to have more helpful legal content out there. So congratulations on making such a contribution to the profession. Mm -hmm. I am the owner and founder of Olive Avenue, which is an estate planning and advising law firm based in Chicago. I am a graduate of Northwestern Law and Middlebury College and the College of Charleston. I have been a solo practitioner now for over two years. And I also have a podcast called Personal Jurisdiction with my dear, dear friend and co-host Allison Friedman, who is a clinical professor at the University of New Mexico School of Law. And I'm sure we'll get into details <laughs> on all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's awesome too. Someone, so everyone should check that out as well. Um, they're good companion pieces, I well, think. thank you. Yeah, I was about to say as someone who's used to being the one doing the interview, um, I will let you ask me the questions. Yeah. We'll be in a new, a new position <laughs> for me. Uh, flex a different muscle uh, yes. uh, today. So, so with being with being a solo uh, attorney, I just want to start there. Of what led yeah. you to you know make that decision to you know do your own thing, and what has that gotten you? Yeah. My first interaction with legal practice was in college. I worked part-time at a small law firm in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, that was my view of what it meant to be an attorney, was a relatively small practice with, they started out with two attorneys. I think when I left, they had five. And um, I went to law school a few years after graduating from college because I wanted to give myself more opportunities. I had mm. worked for a little bit. I had enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt that I wasn't challenged and I didn't have a clear direction about what I wanted my career to be. Mm. No and better so way to be challenged. I, no, no better way to be challenged <laughs> than to go to law school. <laughs> yeah. And I had a friend, a college friend who was at law school at Northwestern and told me about a relatively new program at Northwestern called the Accelerated JD program mm, yeah. that no longer exists sadly, but did at the time. And that appealed to me because I knew that my classmates in the AJD program had worked for a little bit um, before going to law school. That was important to me. I felt like I was in a little bit of a different place in my life than I was when I graduated from college. And because it was appealing to me at the time to be able to 
go to law school and get my degree in a shorter period of time. So um, that is what I did. Great experience at Northwestern. And in, in Northwestern, but if people don't know, during finals week, they have pancakes. And so um, I went to John Marshall my first year of law school, and we okay. would sneak into Northwestern um, Law School because during finals week, they had pancakes. Definitely a selling point. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now they have even more restaurants and a much better on-campus cafe. So I'm sure it's even better for students now. I'm sure. But I started with the kind of the law school piece because I did not have a clear direction about what I wanted to do after law school. Hmm. And part of that I think was good because I tried a lot of different things. And part of that led me to be influenced towards going the big law route after law school. I did feel in my time in law school that there wasn't quite as good information about other paths to practice mm -hmm. apart from the big law path and the clerkship path. Sure. And I did not come into law school knowing what big law was or why that was something people <laughs> wanted to do. And sure. so, um, especially being in the accelerated program, we did OCI after one semester. So we wow. started our semester. Yeah. When I think back to it, <laughs> you, I think you don't know anything at that point. No, really even yeah. yeah, very little. So I was fortunate to get a job um, kind of adjacent to the OCI process and worked at a large law firm as a summer associate and then went back to that same firm after I graduated. But I'm telling this long-winded story because when I think about what led me to start my own firm, it was my original view of what it meant to be a lawyer mm. and also the skills that I had even before law school. And I think those are um, being a great listener, being a good one-on-one -on -one guide for people and my view of what it means to be an attorney, especially in the estate planning world, is to use my um, skills and expertise to bring a sense of peace into someone's life. It's almost like uh, remove barriers. Totally. And to uh, make it where it could, it could be a, almost a tranquil experience as opposed to a high stress experience. And how do people react to that? Because some people, what I've found, so I'm a bankruptcy attorney, is some people, yeah. the second you remove the chaos, you remove the stress, they do not know how to operate. It's like the fuel that drives them is they're so used to working in this kind of high stress, high chaos environment. And when you remove that, they don't know how to almost take action they they don't know how to interact in a space that is tranquil mm -hmm. so do you have people that you know and there's so much in you know the law particularly in estate planning of fear-based if yeah. you don't do x why bad thing will happen and you've kind mm -hmm. of reframed it which i love i hope so thank you no one wants to do an estate plan because no one really wants to think about being incapacitated or dying. 
It's not a fun experience. Um, and so I think there are a lot of, like you said, kind of psychological barriers to people getting started with an estate plan. Oftentimes it is fueled by either um, being a new parent and feeling like you have a different reason for putting together an estate plan and, and thinking about future scenarios, or um, you've had an experience with a parent or other loved one where either they've died and the process has gone well and you want to do something similar, or they've died and the process has been really difficult and you want a, something different for your family. My approach is really education-based. So mm -hmm. I want people to understand, I want clients to understand not only the process of what it looks like for us to work together and the different steps that we're going to take towards the goal of having documents signed, but also how the pieces of an estate plan work together and why I recommend the plans that I do for each client. It's, it's a, it's a very intentional. Of course. Your, your, your approach. And what is it from your prior experience so before going to law school or maybe the just the way that you are that has facilitated this different approach this kind of refreshing approach of support education um hey we're going to do the thing that works for you and you're having an understanding of it i want you to be a partner with me on this journey as to opposed to i'm going to do this to you and at mm -hmm. the end you're going to just sign on the dotted line because many people, particularly in something like estate planning, honestly, at the end, um, they don't even really know what they've signed. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't really know. And even if you ask people, hey, do you have an estate planning? Yes. What did you do in it? I don't know. It's yeah. such a common thing. So just so to backtrack, what about your prior experiences has led to kind of this different approach? Or why did yeah. you decide this is the approach yeah. that works for you? There are kind of three things that I think have, for, have helped me to form this approach. The first is I am the oldest of three. And I think <laughs> I am probably the most typical first child mm. in, in the family. Um, but my role is certainly very much big sister in some ways. Um, but that can't be the way that you treat clients. And so I think that that combines with my role as a teacher. And that's something I started doing even when I was in college. Um, and then I was a college professor for a few years. And then um, even since law school, I've tried to take opportunities to participate in seminars and things at Northwestern to interact with law students and share about my experiences, answer questions and be a resource. And then another thing that I started doing when I left um, my firm job and before I started Olive Avenue was to teach as an adjunct at UIC, which is 
former John Marshall. Yeah. And they have an absolutely wonderful lawyering skills program. And I've been fortunate to teach in that program for a couple of semesters, um, the legal writing and legal practice course. And even though I'm not talking about estate planning in those courses, I am thinking about how to introduce new concepts, legal concepts to people who are early on in their legal education. Yeah. And focusing on like, uh, I imagine the, the humanity of law totally from a, from a very practical standpoint. Um, and this is something I've really been focusing on is a lot of times there's a legal issue that needs that someone's coming to you for, but there's also many human issues or human dynamics. And you, it's really spending the time um, and energy separating out those two things. Mm -hmm. One informs the other, you can't ignore one. Um, But uh, a lot of times what people are think they're coming to for is really a legal need. And what informs that is their human needs or their human issues or their human problems. And so it's kind of like, how do you go about in your practice kind of addressing, you know, these big things, right? Death, incapacity, family dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you navigate that when someone comes to you and say, hey, I have this very human problem how do you interact with the client or educate the client on what you're able to do or not do? Mm -hmm. And the third part of my approach has been informed by my actual practice of law um, over the course of my career since graduating from law school, learning about things that worked really well and also things that I wanted to try to do differently. Um, I serve a different client group for the most part than I did at my previous firm, but there are certain things I've incorporated from that experience that continue to work really well for me. And there are other things that I have tried to do as a solo practitioner to especially um, be more approachable to clients to better and how, educate and, them. And, and how do you become, how are you more approachable? How do you, yeah. like, how do you uh, think that, you know, or what are you doing to be more approachable compared to what you're doing before? Yeah, I think um, some of it is operational, mm-hmm. making the process of getting in touch with me and the process of meeting with me and the process of providing me the information that I need to work on an estate plan for my clients is a way to be approachable. Um, I don't have a fully remote practice, but I do generally meet with most clients virtually first. Um, And I try to use easy technological tools to make it (laughs) simple for people to find a time to work with me. I mean, even things like that you may be familiar with. I love Calendly. It allows people to schedule with me at a time that works for them. I try to offer evening and weekend meeting times for people with younger families who may not be able to find the time during the day. And it's better for them to chat with me after the kids are in bed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that those are kind of simple things, Patrick. But I wanted to be different in the sense of 
you know, you don't have to put on a suit and come downtown to your lawyer's office mm. to a get amen. an estate plan in place. Amen. Yeah, and that, you know, that works really well for some people, 100%. but it doesn't meet, it doesn't work well for everyone. And you don't, the, the beauty of being a solo small is you don't have to be the attorney for everyone. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a, right now, a kind of a shift and people have, or not people, attorneys and people, clients have kind of have a different set of expectations and understanding of what it means to be professional. Yes. Um, is that professionalism, particularly in like a service industry, can be that you're approachable, that you're kind, that you're compassionate, that you're flexible without being uh, accessible 24 7. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's how you uh, appear, it's the way you talk, it is different. It doesn't have to be as formal. It doesn't have to be as cookie cutter. Um, and so, you know, what are different elements from like things you do outside of work that kind of inform how you work? I will mention one other thing yeah. that I think makes the estate planning process more palatable. And it is mm -hmm. a bit particular to estate planning, but that it's much easier to have flexible and set fee structures. Mm. So I try to work on flat fee, uh, meaning I don't charge hourly. I quote my clients a fee at the beginning. I typically have half due when I deliver drafts and half when they sign. And one, that makes my life so much better because I am not keeping track of billable hours for the most part. And that's something I was very happy to leave behind. <laughs> But also I feel that it's more understandable for clients what they're getting into um, and what the value is. And you even put I'm it on your way. And you even put it on your website. I do. And yeah. so and so for anyone who's hesitant to just straight up have transparency and say, this is what it's gonna be. This is how much I charge for a consultation, for a meeting for coaching, for these kinds of documents, here's a range is um, go to, you know, the Olive Avenue website and it's on there. Um, and that is, I think, um, so refreshing. Attorneys, I think there's a lot of fear yeah. uh, around if I say it's X number of dollars and I'm just very transparent, then someone somehow is going to take advantage of that transparency. There's some kind of like paranoia around it. Um, but I like the way you frame it is that people really appreciate mm -hmm. that transparency. Um, and you benefit from that transparency as well. Definitely. <laughs> um, Definitely. And it's not, it's not that, people are looking to because here's the thing people really don't want to hire an attorney right you know and so this idea that someone's going to hire an attorney and then take advantage of said attorney who's charging a set fee is in my experience i do a lot of set fee work too with mm -hmm. bankruptcy is that people are actually more respectful of your time 
uh, they're they're actually almost more understanding that you're not just at their whim and they know what they've paid for which is more of the process the documents you're going to help them navigate um a complex kind of system Mm -hmm. more so than you're at their beck and call yeah and i think it's been a huge learning process for me of course patrick knowing that i wanted to work mostly flat fee i wanted to be transparent about it i wanted people to understand generally how much they were going to pay before they even contacted me and then have a very clear structure about how they how they would pay me and when but i've learned um from trial and error and from you know, chatting with other practitioners about the types of things that I can do in my engagement letter and otherwise to make sure that it's a fair arrangement for both sides. Mm -hmm. And I'll share, I mean, one of the things I've learned over the course of the past two years is that um, I can't give clients just no timeline for when they should sign their final documents. Because again, estate planning, it's not something people enjoy doing there's, I think, a lot of um, shame and fear around it. And so having a timeline as far as here's how long it will take me to gather the information I need. Here's how long it will take me to draft. Here's how long it will take for us to review those drafts. And then here's the timeline that I include in my engagement letter for how long you have to sign before I start charging hourly to re-review. And I do that because what's the timeline? What's the, ti- what's the timeline? Well, it depends. I generally try to do about 60 to 90 days. Wow. Um, which is, I'm, you know, I that's... might consider shortening, but. No, because... I, I, I think that's really fair. I yeah. do. I do a similar thing. <clears throat> okay. Um, that by the time, if you, so when you pay in full for the bankruptcy, you have a certain set amount of time to get us the paperwork. Mm-hmm. If if not, I it's like this agreement's no good. If you want to continue on, we'll have to figure out a different arrangement because I like the time duration. And I think yeah. this is a missed point in the flat fee discussion yeah. is that you can make it uh, just for like a block of time. Mm-hmm. You can have an expiration date. Yeah. It's not just indefinite. Like you pay the set fee because situations change, right? And particularly in, you know, estate planning, you can have a relationship go sour, someone that totally. dies. I mm-hmm. mean, someone's born. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot that can, someone's exactly. married. There's a lot, lot that can happen in a very short period of time that completely changes, can completely change the entire plan. Mm-hmm. And also having the time that I need to serve all of my clients. Um, you know, we, if we talked about something and then 60 to 90 days passes, I mean, I need to refresh my memory so that I can be sure to give you, you know, the appropriate advice that you need. And especially where it's important to me that clients understand what we're doing and why. I mean, we're all super busy and doing a million things at once. I don't expect people to remember over that timeline. But I had to learn that through some trial and error, you know, some clients who took a year to sign their plan and that I totally understand that approach, but it took me a while to figure out how to make it work for me and also be fair to clients. 
So one of the things you're mentioning here is kind of like trial and error or iterating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means that you're okay with things not working. Yeah, definitely. Um, how has that been running your own firm the two years of kind of dealing with this firstborn, likes following rules, probably on the perfectionist spectrum to then be like, no, I need to fail a lot and be open yeah. to things not working. How has that tension worked Yeah, or, or, or not? <laughs> you know, I think Patrick, um, something that is really important to me that I identified again, when I was thinking about the career change I wanted to make was um, autonomy. Mm. So to me, having my own firm is right now the fullest expression of autonomy because I love to, I think it's a creative side a little bit. I love to think about how things are going to work, I guess, create my own rules um, and design my workday, design my systems in a way that I think makes sense. But those aren't always going to work, right? I mean, the, the timeline thing is an example of that or just figuring out what software is the best software for me to use. What I know you're shaking your head. I mean, it's such a process. Technology, and I definitely, technology has gotten harder to use and more confusing as to exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, there's too much. There's too many options, particularly in the legal space. Uh, they're like, I'm like, this doesn't even do exactly what I need it to do. It's so close, Quio. It's so close, Slawmatics. You guys are like 95% of the way there. Um, so I hear you. Because there's still so much, even with this autonomy, right? Outside of your control, when you're engaging with, you know, different legal tools or process or systems or people, mm-hmm. right? Where you just have to... Um, almost let go that something might not get to a hundred percent or be, or be exactly what you need. Um, exactly. And it's, I love this profession because I'm always learning and I wouldn't feel like I was continuing to learn if I weren't making changes to how I do things. I mean, I didn't know anything about starting a business. I, I Googled how to start a law firm. <laughs> Cleo has a great guide. Um, I had a couple of law school classmates who've been amazing guides to me in just, hey, here are five things you should have at the beginning. Um, I really continue to make it up as I go along, Mm. but I'm experienced. I know what's helpful to clients. I know what I need to work. And so, you know, I can make a change where I need to make a change. And that's kind of one of the benefits of being the boss of everyone and everyone just being me is that um, I can decide to make that change really at any time. You can be highly adaptable. Yeah. And it's um, because you have this way about you that things can be kind of uh, very deliberate. But at the same time, because of this deliberation, you're also able to probably pivot very quickly when something's not going right. 
I try. Is, I mean, it, is I, that an assumption? Is that just something I'm projecting onto you? That I, I appreciate or? that and take that as a huge compliment, but I don't want anyone listening to think that that's easy mm. um, because it, even just thinking about the process of starting leaving my firm, I mean, that took me a really long time to feel comfortable doing, and it was a huge pivot for me, a huge risk. I wouldn't say I'm a very... Um, I would say I'm a relatively risk averse person. I think probably many attorneys are the same. That was a big change for me, a big jump. Um, How long did it take from the time you knew, like this is not working for me to the time you're like, okay, I took a meaningful action to say I'm going out of my own. Probably a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. It what did you, what did you have to, what did you have to process or, like give your per self permission to let go of. Yeah. Um, so I left my firm in February, 2021. So at that point we had been working remotely for almost a year mm. and I had not spent that much time at home since ever. So for those, you know, 10, 11 months, I was still working a lot, but I was, at home most of the time. For a long part of that, we weren't really doing anything, we weren't going outside. Um, so I had time just to myself to think. And I knew that I wanted to make a change. I knew that I wasn't happy. Um, mm -hmm. I felt that I had done what I wanted to do in a large law firm and that the I didn't want to stay in that environment forever. I also felt like I had forgotten about and started to rediscover some things that were important to me. One was teaching. Mm. Um, that was January, 2021 was when I taught my first class at UIC Law. And the pandemic made that easy because it was by Zoom. <laughs> the pandemic it made certain things uh, there's a silver lining. Totally. No, there was a huge yeah. silver lining for me recognizing it was a really terrible time for a lot of people, but yeah. it gave me some freedom that I needed to, to think about that. So I would say finding the teaching opportunity was step one throughout having, um, great, a great therapist and a great career coach were essential to me. And that's, and that, and I have found that to be universal. Yeah. It's, it's, I think this, this, um, idea that, uh, attorneys are, are still struggling with. And I think a lot are kind of that you can do this on your own, but really so many more people are much more open of that. It takes a good therapist, a coach, good support, who you surround yourself with and yeah. the, and giving yourself the time and space to reflect and decide, you know, what is it that I want out of this life mm -hmm. and am I doing it now? And it's okay. If not, um, there's so much just more acceptance, um, of this, and it's been very powerful because then I think it kind of, I'm really fascinated by this idea of like the feedback loop. 
-hmm. And historically, attorneys with the feedback loop, it was kind of like you're on this feedback loop of misery <laughs> and despair and struggle and unwell. And the feedback loop seems to have started to shift to mm -hmm. things like you're like, I wasn't happy, but I knew that I could be. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for something different and that something different was autonomy. And so the feedback loop, I think is starting to change, at least I hope so, um, to kind of this, you have agency, mm -hmm. you have autonomy, you have choice. You can start out being at a big law firm and decide this is not for me and do something else. That doesn't mean you're a failure. That just means that you discovered something maybe about yourself or about the situation that no longer worked. Yeah. And that's cool. And that's fine. That's something we've talked to a bunch of people about on the podcast, Allison and I, and something that we have experienced a lot in our lives is, um, recognizing or trying to get over the, I think the prestige worry um, mm. that, oh, if I do something that's so different from what people in my <laughs> network are doing, um, yep. you know, what is that going to be like? And that was really a huge hurdle for me, Patrick. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I guess it's like a little embarrassing to admit that, but I know I'm not the only one. And it took me a lot of work to, to get to a place where I could say, and this is what I did. I left my firm with no job. And I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I am teaching. I don't plan to teach full time, but I'm going to take some time to think about what I want to do next. I didn't leave knowing that I was going to start my own firm, but I'd always been in the back of my mind. Like I said, since my first experience with a law firm in college, but I didn't leave knowing that. There's some, and, there, there's yeah. some like mystery there. And so, <laughs> and so this is the great, this is a great segue. Um, I didn't plan this, I promise, oh. but on your podcast profile, you say one of the, the best, uh, one of your favorite things to do is read mystery novels. Yeah. So, so, um, one, who's your favorite author? Who's your favorite mystery novel author? Wait, ask me your next question so I can think about that. <laughs> My wife loves Agatha Christie. So, um, okay. Well, I guess, I guess it's, you know, kind of if you like mystery novels, what about mystery novels really intrigues you? Like, what is it about like that particular genre that you're like, this is why I love mystery novels? Huh. I'm, I'm a creative writing major. And so, oh, I love it. And, and so, I, I, tend to think that the thing you're the things you like to read are either something you desire or somehow it's a reflection of your life or it's an escape there's so many different purposes for reading yeah. um, and the mystery novel is a fascinating one to me huh. so what, what is it about the mystery novel well i will tell you that i read constantly and not just mysteries what else do you read? I, I read everything. I love fiction. I'm actually tonight going to see the author Ann Patchett. <gasps> um, yeah. 
So she's on her book tour for her newest novel, Tom Lake. So I'm going to see her tonight. I'm jealous. And patch it's off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited um, to be able to see her in person. So she's certainly one of my favorite writers. And her nonfiction is beautiful. Oh, just amazing. So I read everything. I always have from the youngest age. What I did was read, read, read. Um, (laughs) I love, you know, in addition to mysteries, I love biographies and memoirs. Um, Why do I love mysteries? I have read them since the beginning. Goosebumps were an early favorite. But I guess I love just trying to figure out the puzzle. And now that I say that, I realize, you know, that that is so um, <laughs> not that I'm trying to start, of, <laughs> psychoan- oh, psych- psychoanalyze you based this upon the novels perfect. you like to read. But I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I guess I'm just making this connection myself. But one thing I love about being an attorney is putting together those pieces of a puzzle for someone using what I know about the law to help someone solve a problem. So yes, your um, hypothesis about what people <laughs> read is completely on point. I'm just, I am a prime example of that. So that is, um, that's why I love them. And I'm forgetting the tight or the, the author that I love, but I'll send it to you after and you can put it in the show notes. Please. Because I just read, I think, all of his books and was really sad when I read the last one. I primarily like mysteries that are that have a um, female protagonist. And I also really enjoy ones that have some kind of historical... Bent to them. Bent to them. Or, um, well, I'm going to go on and on about this, but... <laughs> Go, please. I, 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 no, here's here's the thing is that um, I think, you know, all the experiences you have, all the things you interact with inform how you are as an attorney. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and people know this about me, is that like a year and a half ago, I stopped using my uh, iPhone mm-hmm. and I stopped drinking and I, I started thinking. Do you have a flip phone now? I, so... I don't have a flip phone. I use my Apple Watch. Okay. Um, I still have my cell phone, but my wife changed the lock code, so I don't know how to access it, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can still text and call and whatever. Yeah. But what it has gotten me is that, um, my gosh, I read so much. I love reading. As a kid, it was like, when you were doing, you know, was it book it to get, you know, yes, your, your, your pizza per- personal pizza, you know, mm-hmm. I would just, maybe I was just really motivated by pizza hut, but I mean, who isn't, <laughs> and who wasn't at that time, but it's kind of like, you know, what drove me to be an attorney was that, what did I like to do? Read and write. Mm-hmm. When I studied for the LSAT, I would go to the library and just read a different Cormac McCarthy book every day. And so it's like, it informs how I even approach even how I became an attorney. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? It has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. like, even um, like, Hey, I wanted to be an attorney. Hey, I was good at arguing. Hey, I like conflict. Actually 
it has everything to do with like I liked kind of the story, the yeah. narrative, the ability to help people, the ability to put that into written form, mm-hmm. um, and to see kind of how each person's story informs what they need. Yeah. Um, and so that's all I'm doing every day. It's basically mm-hmm. just taking different vignettes of people's story and guiding them t- through the legal process um, to get a solution. And mm-hmm. so it's, I, I just think I love this idea of the attorney reader. <laughs> we need to start a book club. I think I know. Maybe, maybe we'll c- come up. I would with, love that. Um, but I, I like that you mentioned that, Patrick, because that's something that guided me towards law school as well. I didn't have a great idea of what attorneys did when I applied to law school or even when I was in law school, but I knew that I was a really strong writer. I thought a decent communicator and I love to read. And And I think those have been really helpful to me in this practice, not to say those are prerequisites prerequisites but um that was kind of my thought process when i was thinking about what i wanted to do next that's and those are my skills that's yeah. a that's a coincidence everyone it is i love it that's an, and that's kind of a very unique um kind of viewpoint of yeah. saying i became an attorney because i'm a clear communicator i like reading and writing i mean and it could be that simple totally. and and the path that people go on to become attorneys is is not linear. Um, yeah. As much as people think it is, is that, you know, and I love that there's a, the stuffy unicorn behind you. What I was going to say before <laughs> is, you know, no one wants to be the first unicorn. Okay. We all think we're uh, horses. The mm-hmm. f- funny thing is that actually we're all just unicorns. And we just think we're uh horses and we're all different and we all we all have different viewpoints and different experiences and different ways of approaching the law and being an attorneys and that's what makes it fun and the mm-hmm. second that we realize that it really unlocks you to just be like well everyone's different everyone's kind of yeah. a, a nerd in their own way everyone is unique and eccentric in their own way and it's not about conformity and so um, I think that's how I'm going to leave off is, you know, what have you found in your journey of kind of now going off on your own of, you know, kind of doing things in your own way um, that you're just going to lean into heavier here in this next phase of what you're doing? You're like, this is what I do. This is what I love about myself. I'm really just going to lean into this more. Huh. Well, I stumped you. That's good. And you did a little bit. <laughs> this is a, an excellent kind of thing to reflect on. I am thinking a little bit about our conversation before you press record because you complimented my website, which I really appreciate. But something that happened recently was I was at a, an event um, with other attorneys in the trust and estate world, and someone said, um, I, I know about you. I saw your website and I said, 
she's really doing something great. She has it figured out. And I thought, well, that's a huge compliment. I definitely don't have it figured out, guys. But it's nice to be recognized for doing something in your own way mm -hmm. and for other people with experience in the same field to think that that's a good idea. And so I hope to continue to discover those ways to do things within the estate planning world to gather up the courage to try new things and maybe fail at them too, Patrick. That's not, again, I'll say it's not easy for me, but um, continue to build a practice that I'm proud of that's able to serve clients and, and make people feel like estate planning is for everyone, mm. but also live a life that <clears throat> allows me to keep reading all the mysteries <laughs> and also do the yeah. things outside of the law that are important to me, because there are a lot of things that are important to me. And like what? one thing like, that, yeah, man, I mean, one thing that I'm happy to talk about yeah. all those, but I'll say one thing I learned through the course of the podcast is the framing of law as a job, a career, or a calling. And something I struggled with was I didn't necessarily feel like law was my calling. Mm. And I still don't. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Mm. I think there are many jobs that I could have had, including um, a podcaster, would love to have my own show if anyone's out there yeah. needs same, someone yeah, to come same. on the news yeah. you know I'm, yeah. I'm ready and waiting yeah but my career is very important to me i love using my expertise to help people find that sense of peace related to their family their the things that they've worked for mm -hmm. during their lives and helping them meet their goals and values i love doing that and i think i'm really good at it but the other things that are important to me are um, playing tennis, having the time to do that, meeting new people, working on the podcast with Allison, having time to teach, not every semester, but you know, at least enough that mm -hmm. I can connect with students and hopefully provide them with some interesting mm -hmm. perspective that's a little bit different from what they learn about day to day, spend time with my family and friends, travel. Your calling is in multitudes, <laughs> you know, and, and there's such a beauty in that is that your calling is that you have the multitudes and you appreciate the multitudes as opposed to just one identity. Um, and there's, man, if, people could pick up on one thing is that it's okay if being an attorney you're good at it you enjoy it but it is not the your calling mm -hmm. and i've recently had this i guess enlightenment um where i've had the same thing i'm i like having a law firm i like being an attorney i like doing the bankruptcy work i'm good at it it's fun um i've gotten back to kind of refocusing on what I'm doing, but that's not my calling. 
that that is not it actually i think my calling is doing what i'm doing right now yeah is is kind of creating this community of attorneys mm -hmm. and talking with attorneys and sharing stories and um kind of providing a platform for other attorneys to come share their story and mm -hmm. say hey there it's it's in the multitudes it's in this kind of complex version of self instead of having your identity tethered to one thing attorney mm -hmm. um it can not should but can be in all these these other ways of being so how, how i always leave the podcast is asking then what do you think it means then to be a newfangled attorney or lawyer a newfangled attorney or lawyer. Mm -hmm. to me that means realizing all of the opportunities that having legal training provides for you mm -hmm and using that to do something that you're proud of. Hmm. It doesn't have to be, like we said, a calling. It doesn't have to be a career. There's no hierarchy hmm. in, in that. And I will say, I just want to shout out because I learned about that from Bridget Carr and Vivek Sankran at the University of Michigan School of Law, who teach a course called Leading a Fulfilling Life in the Law. And which we is awesome. On as, yeah, is I mean, can you imagine? Awesome. <laughs> it's a great course. So Amazing find out course. more about that. But yeah. they helped me understand that, you know, job career calling. And that's been really um, helpful for me as I've built my firm and just done other things outside of the law. So I love that. I love that so much. So that's how we're going to end. <laughs> well, thank you so much good. for having me. Well, you're very great welcome. With you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, for anyone else who finds this helpful, uh, please make sure to like and follow and spread the news um, that, you know, there's many different ways of having fulfillment and success. And uh, Hallie is just one of a multitude of examples. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.